and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I'm your host, Ben Kreider, and today I'm going to be breaking down ESPN's new rankings on the future power rankings, where Oklahoma City falls on that scale, how they were evaluated, and you know what their pointers might be moving on into the future. I'm also going to be talking Oklahoma City Blue Basketball. They had arguably their biggest day of the season last night. So I'm going to be covering that and where they stand in the playoff race. And I'm going to conclude things with a tank battle against the Oklahoma City Thunder and the Detroit Pistons tonight. Going to be breaking down kind of the intricacies of this one, what you could see in terms of rotations and what the prediction for the game might be. And to wrap it all off, guys, I have a very special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook, so you do not want to miss out on that. But starting things out with the ESPN rankings, they do future power rankings, let's say like once every like five or six months. They ended up releasing an article back in October on uh, the future power rankings and they just came out with a new one this week and this came from a panel of ESPN insiders you have Kevin Pelton Bobby Marks Andre Snellings and Tim Bontemp so pretty big names uh, are working on this story and basically what this is is they look at not just this year but the next two seasons and kind of combine it and say you know, who is going to be the best in the next three years, in that time span. So not going beyond that, but just the 2021-22 season, 22 to 23, and 2023 to 2024. And here is what they came up with. They end up using five different metrics. They use players, management, money, market, and draft capital as kind of their parameters on grading. And the Memphis Grizzlies actually came out on top. And for every one of these grades, they were weighted differently. I'll go into that in one second here. But it's a 1 through 100 score on all five categories. For the Memphis Grizzlies, they ranked in the top 10 for all but one category. And the one that they did not rank top 10 in happened to be market. So for everything else, they were passing with flying colors. You already know what Memphis has in place. They have a hell of a team right now. They're the best out West. You got John Morant making a really strong case. Uh, Desmond Bain has really been emerging. They got Jaron Jackson. The list kind of goes on and on, right? Like they have Ja. They don't really have any, you know, superstars besides him right now, but they all work so well. Hell, they even got Steven Adams in the mix. Uh, currently but yeah I mean they're working in unison they're one of the youngest teams in the NBA they're one of the most successful teams in the NBA and money should not be a problem moving forward yes they do have to deal with a lot of rookie extensions but they do have some wiggle room in potential trades and you know their management has done a hell of a job kind of getting everybody together so it looks like they have a really strong team for the next three seasons and ranking them at number one really is no major surprise. And with them, their overall score happened to be 71.1, and that really sets the bar for this list. Right behind them, the Miami Heat clocked in at number two. We know the story with the Miami Heat, right? Like, they are 
probably the best in the NBA when it comes to panning for gems. They found Duncan Robinson a couple years ago. Max Struess has been an excellent pickup. Gabe Vincent has been picked up. One of the Martin twins on the two-way contract has been dropping like 20 pieces every once in a while. And how about Omer Yurt 7? Right out of Bricktown's grip. They took him away. And for the month of January, he was posting Moses Brown numbers. You know, where he was getting double-double after double-double. I think he tied Shaq with some accolade. And he was looking ridiculous. Now, he hasn't played a lot due to Bam returning and Dwayne Dedman being like a consistent backup. But yeah, he's good uh, moving forward. And so is really everybody else they're finding here. So they really like the markets in Miami, of course. When it comes to management, because of all these guys they're picking up that become very valuable, they believe that's going to continue, of course. And for players, though they don't have like the MVP candidate right now, they're so well-rounded, you kind of have to give them props for it. So it makes sense why they land at number two. Phoenix Suns come in at number three. Players are definitely a big component. As for management, they've done an excellent job as of late as well. Really comes down to how they're able to uh, utilize Chris Paul over these next three seasons. Like he continues to be doubted. Like even when he um, got traded to the Thunder, like people thought he was on the decline, and he clearly wasn't. And he continues to just play at an elite level. When does that? kind of cap off and when you start needing to look elsewhere i don't know if it comes the next three seasons it's really the next two after this one but that's really what you're looking at because they already have Aiton, they got devin booker they have a really good roster makes sense why they're at that spot milwaukee comes in at four they got the best player in the nba in Giannis and Nakumpo, chris middleton drew holiday on paper they probably have the best roster in the league right now so that's enough said that puts them in that position and then the Boston Celtics come in at number five Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have been playing very well together and they are still growing as players so you get those two as that sort of dynamic duo but they still have some other players that they can work with and that should keep them propped up moving forward but those top five are the ones I really wanted to hone in on I think number six though is the one that you want to put under a magnifying glass because this is the Los Angeles Clippers. They have a really good team and they have a good team for the next three seasons easily. Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are inked and they just traded for Norman Powell. Those are three very good players and potentially they could re-sign guys like Terrence Mann. You could try to get Reggie Jackson on another contract and they would be very good. Even without PG and Kawhi this season, the Clippers have been in playoff contention. So they've made it uh, a, a real point that they are depth heavy. It's been that way all season. I think that's been the evaluation, of course. But I mean, it just shows they're such a well-rounded group right now, even without the star power. With the stars included, this is a championship contender right now. It's going to be a championship contender for the next two seasons or so. Makes sense why you would place them at number six. But the one big thing is that they rank dead last in draft capital. And it's because all of those picks are going straight to Oklahoma City. Presti has the Clippers 2022, 
2024 and 2026 first round picks completely unprotected from the Clippers and then in those two gap years in 23 and 25 there's an unprotected pick swap so the Clippers do not have much food on the table they're really working at scraps here and based on their current trajectory they're gonna have like a 28 pick in 2023 and probably the same come 2025 based off of how the swaps would end up working but yeah I think this is the one that you want to definitely look at I know there was a lot of chaos maybe earlier this year because of the injuries with Kawhi the injuries with Paul could this lead to a ripple effect where maybe they don't want to play together again I don't think I'm going to trust Tim Bontemps and and these guys on you know if they're going to stay together of course but yeah, they're they're probably going to stay together and they're going to be a really good team in the process. So, that's that. From that point on though, you kind of just digress into the normal standards like who have been playoff teams for the last like two seasons, who has some stars. And then you kind of work into like the middle of the road play-in teams or kind of rising groups just like the average Joes, if if you know what I mean. You know, you're looking at teams like the Cavaliers at the 17th spot, the LA Lakers at number 18. Um, I think it's funny. They ranked them 24th in management, and then um, they, they were ranked 18th in players as well, even though they have LeBron, AD, and Russell Westbrook. They're not playing well, so you can't rate them in the top 10, but my goodness, like who would have expected them to be 18th going into... Um, this season and they were ranked number three in October by the way but you keep working down the board you start seeing some of those more tanking teams if you will starts with the Detroit Pistons at number 23 they have Cade Cunningham and they have a good amount of draft picks and don't get me wrong it's not just Cade on this Pistons group they have Sadiq Bey they have Isaiah Stewart Jeremy Grant is going to be a very valuable trade piece if he'd like to go on the open market and I think that's going to be a pretty good deal when it comes down to trying to offload some of those players and trying to really construct a franchise you know they're going to have a good draft pick this year so you got to take that into account if that's a hit I don't see them being a you know number 23 in two seasons but that's just how uh, this board worked due to the numbers and at 24 you finally get to the Oklahoma City Thunder and they were ranked pretty low in some categories and others they were at the very top and I'm going to go in depth into those numbers in one second here but first I'll let you guys know about a very special offer going on with my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. College basketball fans, join the action on the court during the biggest tournament of the year with DraftKings Sportsbook. Turn your team's victory into your own big win. New customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. It's that simple. If they win, you win. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still join the College Hoops action with DraftKings Pools. Everyone can play free pools all March long for a shot at a share of over $250,000 in prizes. Simply join a pool and answer questions like who will make it to the next round and who will hit the most three-pointers. Then track your results. 
here's what you have to do for the offer. Go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN, bet $5 on any college hoops team to win, and get $200 in free bets if they do. If they win, you win with promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook. 21 plus age requirement, restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Moving in to the Thunders rankings though, guys. Talked about how they were 24th. And it's very interesting how this all works out for them. Now, they ranked dead last in players. And just for how weighting works, it makes some sense on how they kind of get tanked here. But the way that they weighted the different categories... Players made up 53.8% of the grand total in that score. That's why you saw teams like the Grizzlies, teams like the Suns, just a lot of contenders up high, and then the rebuilding teams, even though they have potential, down low at the bottom. Everything else, though, OKC did a really excellent job, but 11 out of 30, yeah, that's going to be last in the league. And their thing was yes, they have SGA, they have Lou Dort, they got Josh Giddy. But who else? Who else is there and who else do you know is going to be around and be a serious contributor down the line? It's going to take some time to kind of figure that out. And I think that kind of goes into what their explanation is. I think they'll be able to get some quality role players out of this kind of horde of, you know, current guys on like expiring contracts, rookie scale contracts. But it makes sense. You know, they are not in a shape where you're looking to contend. You're looking to make the playoffs. There are just too many different elements that are clashing. Lots of players need minutes. Lots of players need that outlet to show their potential. And because of it, they're rebuilding. And after this season, there's still going to be a lot of questions surrounding basically everybody on this roster. But outside of that, it's pretty clear. They have one of the best futures come offseason time. And they acknowledge this. They said if this was strictly on like rebuilding they'd be top 10 they ranked number one in terms of draft equity and it's obvious why 19 first round picks until 2027 that's going to put you real high up there monetarily they have 32 million dollars they can spend until the offseason hits are they really going to use all that maybe they get a trade for a bad salary or something but i don't put much value into that to be honest with you the one thing is, though, I put value in Sam Presti. You wouldn't be ranked number one in draft picks if it weren't for that, man. You probably wouldn't have SGA. You wouldn't have damn near everybody on this team. You know, you could very well see a, a roster where you're still trying to make things work. Like, I could try giving you examples, but you know what I mean. They made the right decision kind of trading when they did. The values were high on Paul George. Russell Westbrook had a decent value as well. Look at the value of Russell Westbrook currently. And I, I, maybe if he was still with Oklahoma City, he'd have high value. But nobody respects him around the league right now. And he's seen as a negative asset. That was not the case three years ago when he got traded. Paul George definitely was not a negative asset when he got traded to Los Angeles. Basically set the table for what the present day Oklahoma City Thunder is made up of right here. So they ranked him, you know, top 10, of course, for management, tied for sixth. 
it's a bit of bias here. I think you crack him into the top five. Like I understand why you place Miami number one because they poof really good players out of thin air here, but Presti has a lot of tricks up his sleeve. And what I did was I kind of broke down how the ratings would work if you weighted everything equally. And Oklahoma City actually came out to second place, or excuse me, fourth place. The one thing, though, is if you're weighting everything equally, you're basically saying that playing for the Los Angeles Lakers is as valuable as having Giannis and Antetokounmpo on your team. That's not how it works, Um, but it did do a solid job at kind of picking out who has the more dominant traits overall and, you know, who... Who may not be in such a good place. And you know the top of the board actually remained kind of the same. Miami ranked number one in this this scale. The Grizzlies were number two here. I think the Miami thing just comes down to the market size. Because the Grizzlies were like 25th on this board. And you'll start to see that with teams like the Knicks being in the top like six. That's definitely not the case. I would never put them there right now. I'd have to see more of them as a group. But you know, they're in the they're in the Madison Square Garden, so it takes them up a little bit. OKC though, they're at 56 or 57.8 for fourth. I think the only teams ahead of them would actually be the Raptors at 58.2, and then you would have the Grizzlies and the Heat. But this just shows like the dominant traits of the draft, you know, the money situation they currently have and the management. It's not a great metric to use. I think if you just whittle it out to management and draft equity, they'd probably rank in the top three, if not number one. But the grand scheme, you know, it, it kind of tells you those top tier traits, as I stated. And universally, it's the exact same. The Sacramento Kings are going to be the worst of the bunch. They got a 33.4 or 33.4 rank out of 100 on like this evenly weighted scale when you look at the one espn made they're actually worse they're only at 27 and it's because of how bad their management is they they gave them a score of five (laughs) in management which is really telling and the way they described it was they had tyrese halliburton going into the season and that was the one reason that there was some hope for them they traded him away for sabonis and It was kind of just like a lateral move, but they got a little bit older, and he's a center, not a point guard to pair with De'Aaron Fox, and they saw that as a big problem. (laughs) They they just seem to be mistake after mistake for the Sacramento Kings, and it cost them on this ESPN article, and it could cost them in real life as well because it hasn't treated them well, let's be honest. They're, They're kind of stuck right now, but... That was the overall just look at everything. If you guys have a different take on where the Thunder were ranked, I I get it because they aren't valuing draft picks as much. If they kind of flipped it, I'm sure they'd be in the teens, if not like a lottery type scenario where they're in that top 14. But I thought it was cool. Thought it'd be cool to kind of tell you guys about it and give you my 10 cents on the matter. Also want to give you my 10 cents though on the Oklahoma City Blue. And oh my goodness, they had a big game yesterday. Going up against the Iowa Wolves in Iowa, this was a back-to-back opener. Basically had to win both games against Iowa in order to clinch a playoff berth. And I mentioned this uh, in two days ago, actually, in, in that pod. 
where I gave the kind of checklist that they needed. And there's really only two marks. They needed the Stockton Kings to either split their set of their next two games or lose out on both. And then they just have to win both of their games. They would have been second in that pecking order, even though there was a three-way tie for seventh going into this game. They just had to beat Iowa, had to see Stockton lose, and they'd be controlling their own destiny going into tonight. Iowa, though, they still had something to play for. They're not currently in the playoffs, but they're still in the hunt. Everybody's packed together by about a game right now, and this one could tilt them you know, in the right direction for a postseason berth. So everyone was just fighting the entire way. Whole second half, you didn't see the lead go further than probably like six points. You know, there was a run where OKC was up 10, I think in the first, and Iowa flipped it with like an eight-point lead in the second. But yeah, second half of ball looked like a playoff game. It was just neck and neck. If they made a shot, someone went down on the other end and hit one. You didn't see a run more than like 5-0 until the home stretch here. And Xavier Simpson caught a 5-0 streak at the four-minute mark of the fourth quarter to put the blue up four points. OKC looked really good at this time. I think Simpson actually had a triple-double in the aftermath of not just that stint, but he also found Scotty Hobson a play later on a dunk. So they were in good standing. But McKinley Wright the fourth was not about it for Iowa. And if you don't know who Wright is, he's a 5'11 point guard. He's pretty damn speedy. And he's able to put up points in a jiffy. He did just that. And it started with a defensive three-second violation assessed to the Thunder, or to the Blue. And he hit the free throw. After the next possession, he goes inside for a layup, cashes in on it, and he just kept attacking the basket. He had seven consecutive points for the Iowa Wolves, and OKC could not combat it. Ended up going on a streak that saw Iowa go ahead by three with 18 seconds to go. OKC needed a three to tie, went for a quick two. Scotty Hobson was driving inside, almost got fouled. I think it's a controversial no call. Looks like he got hacked going up for this layup, but he converted on it. No foul call. One point game with about 15 seconds. McKinley Wright gets the basketball and they cannot foul him. They let him get to the other end of the court. It's a freebie dunk and it's a three point game yet again with eight seconds to go. What do they do? They brought out their sharpshooters. Michael Benajay has been a very good shooter this season. Justin Jaworski has been damn near in the 50-40-90 club. So you know he was enlisted to be in that closing unit. And Iowa was trying to adjust accordingly. Final play, Jaworski gets the ball left wing, kind of fumbles the pass. And then he picks up the dribble, makes a step back at that left wing, fires it. Didn't even touch iron, and that was basically your ball game. Iowa took it 111 to 106. This was a nail biter for the entire 48 minutes. With the end results, OKC ended up dropping to 15 and 19. Just one more game to go. They're not out of the playoff race technically, but it's gonna be um, 
it's going to be very, very difficult to kind of steer their way back into that race. And it's not in their hands anymore, really. You have to hope that like five teams lose out in their next course of games. Don't think that's going to happen, man. So that's a really tough break for them. They've been doing excellent all year. Just a couple components were not going their way in this game. And I'll say this, this isn't really a bailout for the blue because there were some foul calls that really benefited them in this fourth quarter. But the refs were way too lenient on the Wolves, I would say, down this stretch. There were multiple potential, I would say, and one opportunities for the Thunder. I'd say three of them came in the final three or four minutes. None of them were called. You know, it was either a a layup that went in, no call, or you saw someone like Xavier Simpson wipe out on a reverse layup and nothing happened, you know? So just a lot of bang-bang plays. I get it if you're not calling in on both sides. But in that end cap, I would say Iowa was getting a little bit more grace in terms of, you know, having some aggression defensively. But truthfully, you can't give that as a cop-out. Iowa showed up in the clutch. McKinley right the fourth, finished with 27 points on the evening. And get this, Melvin Frazier Jr., the man I've been hyping up all season long, actually since I started this podcast close to 18 months ago, he was my guy. I really liked him for his 3 and D ability. I think he can play probably as that like bench player rotational 3 and D wing he delivered for the wolves and he does it as a revenge game against the blue they traded him away for robert woodard in a first round pick woodard's not even there anymore so you know it is what it is that that credits nazi muhammad shows his eye for talent but they lost out on him and you know they lost out on a playoff shot basically because of melvin frazier jr he went out there playing really the four and the five spot for 40 minutes, by the way, and he dropped 15 points and 19 rebounds. How fitting is it he dropped 15 points, by the way? This was my like big talking point when he was on the blue. Basically, his lock, lucky number has been 15 as a scorer. You know, if he's cracking double digits, it's 15 or bust. Does it in this game. 19 rebounds for him has to be a career high. I don't know how he's been in the 20 rebound club at six foot six, but yeah, I mean, he was right on the cusp of it. 17 of those came on the defensive area. So at least it wasn't like a situation where it was just him snagging over everybody, but it's still not great that he almost had a 2020 game when he's traditionally a shooting guard, but that happened. And then you had two other guys Dipping in the 20-point area, Matt Lewis had 20, and then Brandon Sampson had 23 points on the evening. When you look at the blue, they didn't have everybody, but you know you still had to kind of work with what you had here. No Jalen Horde and no Jamias Ramsey. If you don't know, Jamias Ramsey looks like a pretty good prospect. Former number 40 overall pick last season by the Kings. We were already talking about the Kings and their management skills. Here you go. Their, their number 40 pick is on the blue because they waived him. Same goes to Robert Woodard, by the way. They picked him 45th in that same draft class. But 
He's been good, um, and I think he's kind of lived up to the evaluation of a second-round pick. He's been amazing when it comes to pending trading toward, towards the basket. I think he's averaging like 17-some-odd points per game right now, but he hasn't played the last two games, this one included. Horde, that was the first game we have not seen him in a while here. So they had to run an eight-man rotation. Luckily, Daquan Lake was there to be that center. They didn't have a starting center against the Wolves in their last performance, but looked like the wear and tear really got to everybody on this lineup. They shot 28.9% from distance. That is just a really bad break for them. They typically shoot around 34% from deep, and they have a lot of lethal shooters. Out of this bunch of eight guys right here that played, I'd say they actually had their best potential shooters. The only one that wasn't there was Lindy Waters, but Lindy Waters is not playing with the OKC Blue. You know, he's with the Thunder. So this was the lineup you wanted on three-pointers. Justin Jaworski, you know, he was kind of the guy from distance. He went four of 12 on threes, had 22 points there. I'd say Scotty Hobson was the leader, though, when you break things down. 24 points and 7 boards for him on the evening. Shot 9 of 21, 0 of 3 from distance, but he went 3 of 4 from the line. He was clutch in the fourth quarter. I think he had two pivotal free throws, and because of how they work, you only get one free throw for a shooting foul, two or three. So he hit two two-point free throws to get four points right there. Just not many foul calls came late for him. That's the only major issue. Uh, but those two hit the 20-point club. And then you get to Xavier Simpson. Xavier Simpson has been on an amazing, amazing trajectory the last two weeks. He went from being kind of in the shadows and just being like the assist man to wanting to get his. And he wanted to get his tonight. Finished the game with 24 shot attempts. He only hit seven of them. So this was not a good game for Simpson, like shooting-wise. Worst game we've probably seen in a month, but he did do a pretty good task here. First career triple-double in the G League. Had 18 points, 12 rebounds, and 11 assists. Also picked up four steals here, so he was still running the offense. Had he made a couple more layups, though, this would have been an entirely different game, and they were looking to clog the paint up. When they saw that it just was not working from downtown, they wanted to make sure that Simpson couldn't wiggle his way around the basket. And with Simpson, he's not really a three-level scorer. As of late, he has been, but typically, he's just been a person who can drive inside or kill you with that post hook. The three-pointer is not part of his game. It was not part of his game in this one. Daquan Lake is not a three-point shooter, so they were able to stay around the basket and really congest things so he couldn't get his typical shots off, and then as a result, it's kind of just continually like packing the paint so that other guys couldn't really do those backdoor cuts or anything and find a ton of success off them. This was a good game from though. I mean, he showed everything. Like he's been on the cusp of a triple double for a while now, so it's good to see him finally be able to etch that in. Though would have been nice to see him shoot a bit better. Same goes with Rob Edwards. He went four of fourteen for thirteen points, one of seven from three, and there was a very big, I'd say, game-altering possession probably at the two-minute horn. Iowa was leading by two points. They missed a shot. 
and it was a fast break. This was a money possession for them. It was probably three on one, and Rob Edwards at the right wing decided to pull up, pop it in transition. The three ball did not hit. I think it shanked front iron, went right into the Wolves' hands, threw a half-court heave, and you know, went right to one of their guys. It was basically just a cherry pick possession for them. But had he kicked that out, probably would have been a tie ball game because that was a very good looking possession they had on their hands. I don't know if that really changes anything. You can't chalk it up to one possession or one player. I think that's stupid, but that's one of those where you kind of wish you had it back. But you know, this was this was a tough, tough game. You know, I think in all, Iowa did earn this because OKC kind of let off the gas later into the game. One more shot against Iowa. They'll have a shot at retribution. If they don't get into the playoffs, which it's not looking likely anymore, they can have some satisfaction in defeating Iowa tomorrow, or I guess tonight, and just wiping them out from a playoff spot. Because if they lose... There's no way they're able to win. The tiebreakers don't align. And they have not played near enough games on the regular season to outweigh what head-to-head matchups would look like. So that's the take on the blue right now. I'll talk about them in tomorrow's pod and probably later into the weekend, just breaking them down as a team. Like I said, I really wish I could have done more coverage on them this year. You know, this was a game or a team that I was watching really religiously all season to get you know, some evaluation and some scouting points on them. Uh, And they're a good team, you know, just like last year, Xavier Simpson's very fun to watch at the helm. Rob Edwards is a lethal scorer and you get to see new guys come in and out every single year. Justin Jaworski seemed like almost a no name going into the season, finishes this game almost as a reason why their playoff chances are still alive. And it's not just Jaworski, it's really everybody here. Everyone has their own story in the G League, and I really enjoy covering it. But I'll be talking about them. You know, make sure to look out for Blue News uh, next season as well. You know, if you guys are interested, I always love chatting about it. You guys can find that on my Twitter. Also love chatting about Thunder Basketball, though. And I love talking about the Tankathon rankings. Right now, the gap between the Pistons and the OKC Thunder are at its best spot yet. Detroit is third in reverse standings at 21 and 56, and the Oklahoma City Thunder are fourth in reverse standings at 22 and 54. That's a one and a half game gap. However, if the Thunder lose tonight, it's actually a tie that you're going to find between the three and the four spot because with that win, Detroit is going to go one game back in reverse standings. OKC off that loss is going to go plus five. So you're getting right where you need to be. Oklahoma City had their chance against the Orlando Magic last week. And, you know, we saw how that went. Mo Bamba went off for a little bit, got taken out for Ignas Bradigas, and he shot about one of eight. So that's, um, that's how the Thunder have gotten to this point here. But if they really want to get to premium draft positioning this is one you lose Dagnall stated it though and it's kind of obvious like everyone on the court is trying to win ball games you're not telling people off of timeouts like to throw the game or anything and I'm not even sure if these players would basically all the players that are 
currently getting minutes right now are fighting for a roster spot moving into next season you know so they're looking to work their tails off and against Detroit they're definitely going to want to put some work in for Detroit they've actually been pretty good uh, and it's not just been based on matchups you know they've actually been significantly better against like high level opponents actually you look at their last game they played against the Philadelphia 76ers last night and they ended up upsetting them 102 to 94 and Cade Cunningham led the way here with 27 points and six assists he's going to be coming down to the paycom tonight for his first appearance as a pro there also had Sadiq Bey with 20 points as well they really have the entire uh, lineup still intact you know they're not throwing everything out kind of like what we've seen from the magic and the thunder and I don't want to say the Houston Rockets they're still playing their normal lineup right but definitely I'd say with the magic and the thunder where they're not dealing with a ton of injuries the only one would be Jeremy Grant being rested other than that they are they're standing well and that's going to give them an edge going into this game OKC has been razor thin in terms of who they've been playing uh, as of like this last week every couple of days you've heard news drops on this player is out for the rest of the season this player is now out for the rest of the season essentially they're running the Oklahoma City Blue to close out the year so that's going to mean Teo's playing Vit Crenchy's playing Aaron Wiggins is going to be getting prime time minutes Poku's there Roby's there maybe Trey Mann is back we'll see uh, and then you get into other players such as Jeremiah Robinson Earl and Lindy Waters, who is coming off of a career night. So you can't really count him out. You know, you, you can't count out count out anybody, you know, because Roby had 30 points the game before. So that's kind of where you stand here. I bet the sports books are leaning towards the Pistons. Thunder fans might be leaning towards the Pistons as well, just due to uh, the tank here. And we'll see how that goes. If Oklahoma City loses... The tank talk is going to be back on the menu anywhere you look. If they win, it's basically over. I think they've landlocked themselves into the fourth spot in reverse standings. It's just going to be too hard to overcome a two and a half game deficit at this point in the season. You know, when you look at the Thunder right now, I think they only have about seven games left on tap here. That's a very tough path if you're looking to, you know, get into the top three. You got to make that stride tonight. So I'll be covering this one, breaking down the action on it, the top performers as always, and what it means moving forward in the standings. And additionally, I'll be talking about the Oklahoma City Blues latest game. But other than that though, guys, that is going to do it for today's episode. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.